Welcome to Drag Nabbit, a new podcast about all things drag. Whether it's Drag Race, Dragula, Drag Queens, or life just being a drag. We're here to kiki, serve tea, learn the children, and give hot takes on drag artistry and drag history. And on today's episode, we're going to review and recap the 10th episode of RuPaul's Drag Race Season 13, Never Ending Story Edition. Mm. This week, our contestants are put through their pieces with the makeover episode, which has quickly become one of the fan favorites for fans of the franchise. But with Miss Rona being the secret 14th queen, instead of making over friends or family members, the contestants have to make over each other. Some Mm. gals had me seeing double while others made me wish I was blind. But we'll talk more about that after the break. I'm Portia Control. (laughs) And I'm Sisogy. And this is Drag Nabbit. start our episode, as always, with the girls coming back into the workroom after Miss Elliot with two T's is told to sashay away. But we here at Dragnabbit have no tears left to cry for Miss Two T's given her history of problematic language. That part. So this week, I wanted to ask the questions regarding Utica's fear of appropriation versus how to work in pairing group projects, but Portia was quick to gather my edges and point out that I forgot all about arguably the strangest setup ever, RuPaul treating the contestants to a psychic reading with Char Margolis, who introduces herself as an, quote unquote, intuitive psychic medium, end quote. Now, as the god warrior who asks the questions, what did I see on my TV screen other than demonry? Um, you saw lies, you saw fairy tales, you saw fabrications, you saw a whole bunch of buffoonery, but we had to talk about it. I do not understand why you were like, let's retread Utica's thing all over again, because that wasn't very interesting. The first episode that we talked about it, and it's definitely not going to be interesting part two, the sequel. Sorry, kids. Um, And yeah, the group projects thing, I don't know. I just wasn't inspired, gal. So sorry, I took over and I said... The one time I wanted to help out with writing a script. Well, you know, I'm the script supervisor. So as the supervisor, I get to make the hard questions and the hard calls. Right. I came to you asking for a blessing and you said, actually... This is not approved. <laughs> Actually, no, ma'am. Unapproved. Delete. Delete it fat. Um, but I was really interested. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't interested. I thought it was super weird and awkward, this whole Char Margolis reading. I mean, there's no way mm-hmm. that they didn't just give her all of the produced story bits and things that they were planning on. Like, you, you can't believe that that's going on uh, or that's not happening during that part of the taping. But it was, it was a cute little conceit or whatever, you know, when Rue does the magic words and they end up in the other room. It felt very like childhood story hour, but Mm -hmm. you know what? Sometimes you need that. Sometimes you need a little bit of that fantasy to get away from the reality to make it happen. But all joking aside, I do think it's really interesting that alternative forms of spirituality play a lot into what I would say are the target demos for this group, which Mm. are the younger people, LGBTQ Q plus culture and drag culture in particular. Right. What do we think about 
that particular sort of alternative spirituality might be a draw to those sets of folks. <laughs> it is going to get very deep and very controversial. So I am a Christian woman of the cloth. Let's get that first and foremost. You Period. and I both. Saved and sanctified. We also, you and I both, love some alternative spirituality, astrology, tarot, et cetera, We're, et cetera. we're a yes and approach to religion. I think in this case, to your question, organized faith wasn't good to a lot of people and yeah. a lot of our people. Mm. Uh, but that lizard brain in us still wants those answers because the unknowing of death, it can really fuck some people up. Period. Um, in a way, faith allows us to compartmentalize the fear of death and give us comfort. But with astrology, especially putting the cause of your failures on the movements of space rocks offers a level of free therapy to people Ooh. via avoidance. Um, Portia. <laughs> wow. The setup. You, you are a woman psychologist and a Christian psychic. What are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that your your observations are actually really similar to mine and that Christianity and many organized religions have been upholders and um, benefit from, and yet are also, there's this concept of like the oppressor also being oppressed mm -hmm. in their own way in the systems that they're creating. And so they right. also do that, but they also do a lot more harm than the harm that is inflicted upon them. But they have held up those systems of oppression, like the patriarchy, like um, heterosexism, like mm -hmm. cissexism. Um, and for many people, especially the younger crowd, especially people who align themselves to different than whatever the quote unquote mainstream is. Yeah. It's, it's very easy to, to go to a place where none of that exists or is right. not discounted. So it is, it is a broader conversation around like, you know, why the church is losing people and losing this set of people um, and slowly dying within this world. But like many things that are problematic and need systemic change, sometimes they just, need to dissolve if they can't evolve. So, oh. girl, I feel like I just need a quick break to call my Psychic Friends Network because that was a lot. So why don't we just take that break now and we'll be right back. You basically just said, you know who's got to lose their job? The Pope. <laughs> So this week, our contestants are tasked with making each other over into their own likeness, and they're placed into pairs. Now, in general, I'd say that this group of girls gets along pretty well, so mm -hmm. I wasn't, and I don't think we were expecting a lot of drama, but I did expect that they would mostly be placed with someone who would pose some kind of challenge for them. So why don't right. we kind of go down the list and recall, first of all, who was paired, and mm -hmm. then I'd love to know from you... Like, which of these pairings seems like it might be the most challenging or have the most pitfalls associated with it? So, mm. the pairings were as follows. Utica was paired with Simone. Rosé was paired with Tina. Denali was paired with Olivia. And lastly, Gottmik was paired with Candy. Mm. Well, historically, drag race always treats pairs of different skin tones mm. at best questionably. Ooh. Uh, Monet and shortchange getting shortchanged. 
True. And then Eureka weaponizing Kingsley's skin color against Aquaria. So I'm basically looking at everyone except Rose and Tina as being in danger from the judges. What about you? Yeah, I, I honestly, when I saw the pairings, I thought that there were a few really challenging ones. Um, you know, they talk about it on the show with Got Mick and Candy specifically because mm-hmm. they do have two different body types. I also right. really appreciate, I, I will say, I appreciate the way that they um, conceptualize that challenge was not about that I'm big and she's small or whatever, or like one or putting a sort of value on the body type. It was just like, we have two different bodies, right? And in order to make it work, we have to figure out what we can take from each other's closet and like, mm-hmm. sew in or let out or whatever in order to emulate each other's look and vibe. So I figured that that got Mick and Candy one, even though they were really good friends, like that, that just, just from a simple, like technical standpoint would be really, really challenging. I completely agree. Now, it wouldn't be Dragnabbit without us placing ourselves in their shoes and or heels. So if you were on this challenge, who would you want to be paired with? I think if I were on this challenge, I would probably want to be paired with Gottmik. Again, I think that mm-hmm. I think that the body tips because she's, you know, I'm a broader person and she's petite. But um, you're psychologically a petite. But I'm psychologically woman. thin, which is really all that matters. <laughs> right. I think that, that again that would pose um that would pose some challenges, but as we see later in the episode, they're able to move through that pretty quickly and pretty successfully. Mm-hmm. Um and I just I know that someone like Otmik, who is a full-time makeup artist, like would do an amazing job of putting me into their drag. Um or like a, a nice amalgamation and recreation mm-hmm. of like their drag on my face, which we can mm-hmm. see that that was different degrees of success for some of the other contestants. Let's just put it that way. What about you? That part. Uh, well, if I was going to be paired with anyone, I would want to be paired with Portia Control. Uh, Aww. That's just strange. kidding. I, <laughs> that's sweet. Uh, <laughs> no, I'd probably say like Gottmik or... Um, Simone, I would say, or if we're looking at, if we were just going to pick based on body type, I guess I would have to get paired with Tina after COVID. So Ooh. you heard it here first. Tina is the post COVID body of one. Oh, well, now, now don't get it twisted. I'm just saying <laughs> I am a little bit broader than the beginning of COVID, but we're all psychologically thin and that's all that matters. Speaking of shady things, there were definitely some (laughs) shady moments in the workroom and on the runway Mm -hmm. as the girls have to get each other in their own style of drag and teach each other how to inhabit their approach to the runway. Were there any surprises for us when we saw the queens teaching each other how to be them? Well, I really got my life from Utica and Simone's educational hour. I think that that pair was so beneficial in that Utica... Utica taught Simone that if you're going to be a fashion girl, you are going to have to sell garments in runway shows that you may not be comfortable with. They may be outside your comfort zone. And on the flip side, Simone taught Utica that if she's going to be a fashion girl, you have to learn how to sell the garment, not just the character. What about you? What did you think? Um, I... 
I actually thought the one that was really interesting to me, in addition to the two of them, I also really liked um, the, interestingly enough, I liked the Mm -hmm. Olivia and Denali section because they focus so much on the movement and Denali is so good. And this is like her dance and skating mm-hmm. background she's so she was so good at explaining one her approach to the runway and her movement on the runway but to how she interpreted olivia's approach to the runway so i think that they they really mm. help each other out in terms of inhabiting that physicality now we'll see that later that it did not completely pay off uh in the grand scheme of things but i i liked their approach and the way that they yeah. they worked towards it so i think for me that was that was the one. Well, speaking of approach, let's approach the runway. Um, <laughs> it is time to take a look at the category and challenge for the week. Whose look impressed you and whose look fell flat? Um, I think, and they won this week. So I think that honestly, the, the Simone on Utica mm-hmm. making her the ivory enchantress, which made me laugh Ooh. so hard. <laughs> I thought was so good. It was it was it was just that perfect reference moment without feeling appropriate mm-hmm. right they didn't give her like an afro wig or something but like they still managed to put her in the style mm-hmm. um and get Utica to be comfortable cuz that was the one thing i was super concerned about given last week's mental gymnastics to not wear an afro wig like right. and now we're asking her to put on this costume from a movie that is about Black people right. um, and inhabit a drag style that is Simone's that is primarily not primarily, but is largely based on the fact that she's a strong and beautiful black person and mm-hmm. celebrating black femininity. Um, so right. I think that it was super successful and I, I really enjoyed that least successful for me, girl. I mean, Rose looked a mess girl like that. That outfit was hot garbage. Garbage, mama. Garbage. I I completely agree with you. I think that we are on the exact same page. Like, Simone's work on Utica really stood out for me. You're right. And I think it's really going to help Utica moving forward, both in her drag race journey as well as her professional career. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I do think it... To talk about what we we mentioned last week, I, I do think it's really good that Utica is at least having those conversations about yeah. what is cultural appropriation within drag because it's something that drag queens feel that they have a free pass on. Um, also, another standout was Gottmik's work on Candy and Candy's work on Gottmik. I thought that that I loved that pair. Uh, for me, they actually were the top. If we're judging a duo. Like mm-hmm. I felt that that duo was a little, was a little bit above um, my least favorite. I agree. Rose and Tina, it felt uninspired. I didn't really get either of them from either of them. This was a makeover challenge. The makeup wasn't great on no. Rose. No. And I completely disagree with who was in the bottom this week. Yeah, for sure. 
I mean, agree as we might or disagree as we might, Rue and the judges end up making their decisions. And we do have to congratulate the winning duo, which I think was rightly deserved, of Utica and Simone. I think they turned it, did a great job. It was really exciting to see them learn to appreciate their differences and celebrate them in order to portray each other. Right. Um, However, wherever there's a top, there must be a bottom. (laughs) And this week, Olivia Lux and Denali find themselves at the bottom too. And they face off in a lip sync that I can only describe as unique to Mary Mary's shackles praise you. Honey, when I, when I talk about like a needle scratch moment, I mean, I know it was the nineties and like that song actually did cross over into the popular charts, mm-hmm. but like, Really? And we're going to do this like 30 years later? Like That's your king. That's your king. Okay. Wow. Okay, work. <laughs> um, you know, we are two of the, as we said earlier, we're two of the most Christian women that you might know. So what, what were our thoughts about this performance? I shared a little bit. I want to hear from you, Sis. Now, we've mentioned Mary Mary on This Cupac Life, mm-hmm. uh, our sister podcast, quite a few times throughout the years. So when this song came on, I got real concerned looking at those two dolls on the stage. Um, I feel like this song maybe have been prepped for maybe Simone and Utica failing Ooh. because those are two Christian queens who may have known this music a little more. Mm-hmm. Uh, the performance was uh, passed. Portia, I can't. Uh, I'm activating my All-Stars 1 emergency tag team button. <laughs> this is on you. <laughs> what? Oh my God. How dare you? Um, yeah, it was... It was, it was cringy. It was not that good. Neither of them really knew it that well. Um, I could see, like, actually now thinking about it and you explaining it that way, that maybe it was for, like, a potential mm-hmm. Utica-Simone failure, which ended up not happening. I can also see, and again, this is kind of shady background stuff that I know has happened before, where... Mm-hmm. Sometimes the producers, you know, knowing who or having an idea who's going to end up in the bottom, they will pick the lip sync song that they know automatically favors someone or disadvantages another person. And the Mm -hmm. truth is, Denali is a sweet gal, but like, she's not going to give me gospel vibes. Right. And it's a mid tempo, moderate tempo song. So she can't Mm -hmm. do all of her crazy dance stuff that she's known for when she's had to turn it out and Olivia is she's about the vibe and she's about you know looking pretty and like wiggling around stage like she's not a dynamic lip syncer at least nothing that I've seen to this moment Mm -hmm. so I can't help but wonder if perhaps that also factored into the decision making of how they ended up with that lip sync song Um, I mean but at the end of the day like Denali this was her second time in the bottom. This was Olivia's right. first. So the, the odds really, unfortunately, were stacked against our gal. They, they really, really were. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and it sucks because I think we most people can agree that Rosé and Tina probably should have been in the bottom. And it's kind of, I, I guess the reason that Rosé and Tina were saved was because Tina has become the narrator of the season. Yeah. And Denali 
and uh, with regrettably with Denali and uh, Olivia, Olivia's the ingenue of the season and Denali didn't have any more story that the producers wanted out of her beyond her concerns about being in the top than being in the bottom for the rest of the competition. So the producers were like, okay, well, it's time for you to go. And that's regrettable because I felt like it should have been Rose and Tina. I don't know. Now, the dust is settling, and it's time to say goodbye to the icy, spicy Chicago figure skating queen, Denali. Do you think that Rue made the right call? I mean, I think she made the right call in what we saw tonight in that lip sync performance. But like you, I don't necessarily think those two were the worst. And in some respects, I actually feel bad for Denali. Because if I'm looking at the two of them and just looking, grading them on the assignment alone, I actually Mm. think Denali did a better job of turning Olivia into her than Olivia did turning Denali into her. Um, Yeah. Denali could have been generic drag queen number five extra background in like a production of girls. Um, You know what I'm saying? Like it just, it felt very like I get that, that Olivia's thing is she's very like pretty and pageanty and like, you know, accessible, right? We've talked Mm -hmm. a little bit about her like beauty makeup versus draggy makeup, um, which is fine. But then like there was nothing, it made it harder for her or the challenge I think for her was to how she could take that aesthetic and then put it on someone like Denali and then still make it read like her. But to me, I think she failed totally. So, but I knew that she wasn't going to send, I knew that Rue wasn't going to send Olivia home. Like she loves her. She just, she has a hard on for her. So Oh yeah. It yeah. is what it is, as the kids like to say. Oh yeah. Olivia has a level of X Factor and Star quality that Rue is looking for that is necessary to be America's next drag superstar. And it's kind of shitty because just as you said, I completely agree. Denali did the assignment better. And it sucks because Olivia the critique was that Denali just didn't look like Olivia. They didn't know who that girl was. And it's like, well, Olivia's a very, she's a younger drag queen. Mm -hmm. So her, her aesthetic and style is still developing. And we don't have that immediate stamp of like, oh, if I see X, Y, Z, I know exactly who that is. And Olivia doesn't have that yet. So that's, that's kind of shitty. I, well, when she I saw didn't bring parent, that little purse. I guess if she had done that. She should have brought a little fucking purse. Remember when she tried to make that happen for like four episodes? Yeah, remember when we called it out like uh, look number two and we said stop that. Right. And low. This now, should have been the time for her to do it though. Maybe they wouldn't have landed in the bottom. Ooh. Right. And they were like, oh, we always know that Denali's going to have some like really cool nail art. And I'm like, wait, when did that become a thing? When did she have things on her nails? Yeah, I don't remember any nail art, mom. Yeah. mm, Questionable. Now, speaking of nails, I need to go get mine done. So let's take a quick break. Girl, we are now down from the crazy eight to the Dragnificent Seven in this lineup of queens. And there is an end in sight to this season that just doesn't seem to want to quit us. 
<laughs> Next week, the queens will be tasked with a personal branding challenge and make commercials to sell a product. Will Gottmik say gorge a bunch of times or come up with a brand new word? Will Candy Muse be unintelligible? Will Utica serve up some weird performance art? We're just going to have to tune in next week to find out. And we'll be here to talk our shit, as always. (laughs) (laughs) What damn gal? (laughs) Um, Keep your eyes peeled uh, for a special episode of Dragnabbit this week. uh, Coming up with the one and the only Miss Aaliyah Martinez. She of the Miss Gay United States 2018 title holder realness. Uh, we we are going to chat drag in the time of Corona and how a drag queen conquers the digital space. So until next time, I'm Syzygy. And I'm Portia. And this was Drag Nabbit. Drag Nabbit is a podcast that is a proud member of this QPOC network. Editing is done by Alana Curtis with graphic design by Syzygy and script supervision by Porsche Control. 